1: I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
2: Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and as always, we've got a good one in store for you today. And uh, um, actually, uh, well, I'll just tell you who, we, who we've got coming up. Uh, Jotham Stein, author of a new book called Negotiate Like a CEO, is in the third half of our three-hour tour. Coming up in the middle, the second half, uh, we're going to have an encore with uh, author and historian John Farrell and uh, talk about his book, The Clock. And the camshaft and other medieval inventions you still can't live without. <laughs> it's an interesting collection and an interesting book. Um, and we're going to start out with uh, Mike Johnston, who is the um, author of the Confessions of a Dork Lord series in uh, book two Grave Danger is out, and um, interesting uh, thing I found out in our conversation, which we just had recently, that uh, Mike is, um, let's see if I get this right, um, yeah, Mike. Mike's married to Melissa De La Cruz, who has been on the show uh several times, in or at, le- at least a few times, two, two at least, maybe three or four. And I suspect that uh, her husband, Mike Johnston, will be back to talk more about the Dork Lord. He has an interesting perspective on uh, flipping the script on fantasy fiction in terms of uh, villains and heroes. But we're finally getting some decent weather, and... Uh, I I actually cooked out on the grill last night. I'll be doing that some more uh, over the next week or so as we get this uh, this warm weather finally. And uh, in honor of that, because I have an extra couple of minutes before my conversation with Mike Johnston, I'm gonna squeeze in uh, a little music by uh, performed by uh, Greg Nagy. It's actually uh, from George Harrison and the Beatles uh, originally. But in honor of the weather, we're going to kick it off with with just a little bit of music and then we'll get into it with uh, Mike Johnston about the Dork Lord and uh, the latest installment, Grave Danger. So, don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. There's lots of uh, interesting stuff coming up. Also, uh, Flint author Connor Coyne will be joining me in the first hour of tomorrow's show. You might want to jump in for that. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and uh, we're going to um, talk with uh, the author of um, a real interesting series that sort of flips the scripts on heroes versus villains. It's the Confessions of a Dork Lord series, and uh, book two is out now, Grave Danger, by Mike, uh, Michael Johnston. Or Mike Johnston, rather, and Mike joins me by phone. Good morning, Mike. Welcome to the show.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having me here.
2: Um, let's uh, what is it about villains that makes them so appealing from Billy the Kid all the way up to Darth Vader?
3: Yeah, um you know i um I was really interested in the villain and and maybe writing a book about the villain. They're they're basically, you know, the ultimate outcasts or underdogs. Let's face it. These are the guys who always seem to fail, who in the end never get it right and they always lose. And, you know, maybe for me that's relatable, or at least in my life it is. Um, you know, these aren't real villains. They're not the Vladimir Putins of the world. They're the, the Saurons from Lord of the Rings or the Voldemort from Harry Potter. And I thought, you know, it'd be interesting to, to hear from, from the bad guys in a book. And that was kind of the genesis of Confessions of the Dark Lord. Our hero, Wick, is the son of a Dark Lord. Um, basically, he's got Voldemort for his father. He's a Malfoy um, who is expected to follow in his father's grim footsteps. Um, and isn't quite sure he wants to do it, so he's
2: he's an interesting character, and that was where I started. <laughs> son, son of Doctor Evil. <laughs> son
4: of Doctor Evil, yeah.
2: But that, but that is kind of a fun thing to do, is uh, because you've got two things going on there. Um, you, you've got a focus on the villain as a hero. But also, you're exploring this this idea that all kids are trying to impress their parents or their dad.
3: Sure, I mean every kid, you know, comes into this world and, and finds expectations thrust upon them from teachers to parents. Um, in this case, my hero has 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 lost his parents. The Dark Lord was vanquished, but he's. He's got a he's got a guardian who's a general thinks about the military. So he's he's filled up with expectations and he's not sure if he can meet any of them. And, And, you know, that's that's a feeling that I've definitely had at times in my life. And I think most people, you know, dealing with expectations and what we can actually deliver and maybe what we want to deliver, you know, maybe we don't necessarily want to do what everyone expects of us and we want to find our own way to fit into the world so those are the issues he's dealing with but of course you know we're in a we're in a fantasy context we're in a humorous context so i bring humor to these and you know imagination because i I don't believe in teaching directly to the kids we can't tell them exactly how to live you know we have to you know put a spoonful of sugar with it with, with these thoughts and so that's kind of what confessions of a dork lord is
2: you know i was reading uh, about you a little bit and um and i shouldn't be surprised but i was a little surprised Hmm. to find out that you're um, married to melissa de la cruz
3: correct um my wife is also an author Uh, she's a fairly well-known author for children and for teens also writes a lot of fantasy but occasionally writes for adults too um, which which I actually I started out writing for adults. I have another series called The Amber Throne. The first book, Solari, from Tor books. So, I've written for adults and kids too. But yes, we are a two author uh, household. So
5: Perhaps unique, <laughs> and, or and, not too unique.
2: You know, that's great. Melissa's been on the show a couple of times, and uh, oh, great. And and so I was I was thrilled when I saw that. But it also raises a question because I always ask, you know, a lot of a lot of writers are are writing in their spare time while they're doing other things mm-hmm. to, you know, sure. make ends meet. And I just wonder, um, does a two-writer household make enough money to, <laughs> to, to write full-time and, and uh, make enough. ends meet? Um, you
3: know, I, I have written uh, part-time uh, quite often. And uh, I'm trained as an architect. I have a master's in architecture from Columbia. It's something I studied in a profession that I worked in and even had my own firm for a time. So I, I definitely have experience with juggling worlds. And, you know, so does my wife. She actually was a computer programmer in another life. And so she's she had to juggle two worlds when she started writing, and she had to you know, have one foot in each and learn to transition. So, it's you know, we both have been through that transition. We're both writing full-time now. So we are, you know, paying the bills and having a kid in school and a house. So that's that's always a miracle for writers. So, I, you know, we're, we're happy to have that and feel blessed by it. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's hard work. And we're, you know, in the pandemic, we both started working from home full time. So it's sometimes it feels like you're at the office 24-7 because everyone's always writing or doing something involved with writing. But, you know, we like that. We take it in stride.
2: Can you... Um do you bounce things off each other if you feel a little stuck or if, if you have a turner, uh, a corner that's tough to turn?
3: Yeah. And, you know, I think there are moments when we don't want to feel like we're in the office 24-7, so we don't always talk about writing, but it does come <laughs> up often. And, you know, and it would be silly not to, you know, take advantage of having another professional writer in the house. And that goes both ways. We definitely... Um, we'll use each other's skills and our creativity and sometimes just, you know, the other person's ear. You know, I found that so many problems are solved simply by talking out loud, by, by just saying what your plot is and having to articulate it to another person sort of gets the years moving in our mind. And that can be a, an amazing way to just solve a problem, just speaking out loud and then, you know, having a professional way there doesn't hurt because you're going to, you're going to get some feedback and some experience. So yeah, I will talk, We'll talk plot points, we'll talk ideas, we'll talk where to go with a plot point, and we'll also send each other drafts um, because sometimes you just have to read the thing uh, to understand what's going on, and we, we do that often enough. So there's, there's a considerable amount of collaboration, actually.
2: You know, I also read that you think of yourself as the original dork lord. Um, how How is that? Um, how, how much of the, the whole concept of, of a dork lord is actually based on you?
3: Well, in Confessions of a Dork Lord, you know, I can definitely relate to Wick's tortured existence. This is a guy who just can't get a break. He's in magic school. Uh, but he's never cast a spell correctly. In fact, by the end of the book, after he goes through this great adventure, um, solves a mystery, um, he's only cast one spell. So he's almost like a sort of anti-Harry Potter. He, you know, If we had Quidditch in my world, he wouldn't even make the team. Um, so I, I've <laughs> always a little bit rebelled against the hero who gets things right too quickly, is good at everything. I like that hero, and I like to read about him. It's a fiction, and I love fiction, but I I also don't mind other kinds of heroes, and that's what Wick is. He's a little bit more like a real kid, a little bit more like us, and uh, I like that. It's relatable. We get to really see somebody who shares our flaws, Um, and, you know, God knows I have my own. So in that way, I do relate to Wick.
2: But there's something you know, sort of self deprecating and, mm-hmm. and a little bit tongue in cheek about that. And oh, and, yes. and there's a lot of humor built into even just the concept of this series, more with author Mike Johnston straight ahead
3: hello out there everybody it's me tigger ti double gur that spells tigger and don't forget to remember to listen to tom sumner program on
2: account of because he's so bouncy More with author Mike Johnston straight ahead. How important is humor in attracting especially middle grade readers?
3: Yeah, you know, um I think humor is is really important. I think it's 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 a coping mechanism for kids and and for me too throughout life. It's a way to show how resilient we are by by just poking fun at situations and, you know, not taking them too seriously. That's a skill that kids need because middle school, the kind of, which is the age range for a book like this, even though I think anybody can read it, it's a tough time and high school is even tougher. So learning to laugh at ourselves I think that's really important, and, and I love humor. It's a great way to make books accessible. It's a great way to get kids excited about books. When I, when I started writing this, I was reading books to my daughter, and she was kind of in this Harry Potter age range, in the 8, 9, 10, 11 uh, range, and to see what made her laugh, what got her excited, was was really what formed the backbone of this book. I felt like, you know, I kind of knew what kids liked at that age, and I remembered what I liked, too, um, and so that's why I started with humor. Cause that was, those were the moments that really resonated with my daughter. And this book is filled with humor. And as you said, it's all self-deprecating. We have to learn to, we can laugh at situations and laugh at others. but We have to learn to laugh at ourselves because sometimes we just don't do the right thing. And instead of worrying about it or torturing ourselves about it, we can always just laugh. So I've, uh, I've always enjoyed self-deprecating humor. It's, uh, and it's a great way to to make yourself a little more human.
2: I wish more grown-ups embraced it. Um, I, I, I wanna I wanna mention um, as as I as I thumb through the book while we're talking, um, the illustrations in the book, and give you a chance to uh, uh, applaud the uh, the illustrator.
3: Thanks for mentioning that. I, I do like when the illustrations are mentioned, because they're almost... The illustrator's name is Marta Altés, and she lives in London, and I, so I've never actually met her, um, but, uh, you know, it's sort of a silent collaboration. I don't know if a lot of people know, but oftentimes an illustrator will read the book when it's completely done so they come to it with their own perspective and there's probably a hundred illustrations in here it's a heavily illustrated book and they bring to it their own kind of sensibility so they're reading my book and they're they're finding or truly really our book and they're finding humor in these situations they're finding moments that spark their attention so they're really the first reader and they're they have this incredible opportunity to sort of participate in the book to add humor and to illuminate these sort of humorous moments. So it's really a joy because I get these illustrations and I see somebody just, you know, bringing my book alive and, uh, you know, really understanding the characters and the moments and the the setting. And it's a chance to, I think, also just really draw kids in. Um, Kids are, you know, they're looking at TikTok. They're looking at social media. They're stuffed full of imagery. So I think, you know, Book with a Bridge, I mean, a book with illustrations is a kind of bridge to to their world. I think it's a way to draw people in. They can flick through my book and kind of see that it's a big, funny fantasy adventure and kind of see the monsters and the characters and the... There's a lot of visual humor in here. There's funny spells and funny spell books, and there's mysteries. And she will illuminate all these mysteries and put all the clues on the page so that a kid can decipher them. So it really adds another dimension to the book. I love the illustrations. I don't think it'd be the same book without them. So, um, yeah, the illustrations are are really fun in this series.
2: I I was just looking at at Wick's Map of the Unknown. Yeah which yeah. is is kind of a fun illustration and it reminds me a little bit of the um uh the Mount Olympus books um oh sure i i, I don't know if you're familiar with those but the, but they're they're really fun um for a younger audience to be yeah. sure but uh but sure. this is this is interesting because it says wick's map of the known world and yet it's yeah two pretty distinct maps, the Grim Folklands yeah, yeah. and the Fairy Folklands. Yeah. And um it it just struck me why it's not Wick's map of the known worlds.
3: Interesting. Well it, it's it's one world but it has two sides to it. Um there's a sort of in this book I'm I'm making fun of fantasy tropes and a lot of fantasy books are kind of black and white. They have Good guys and bad guys, and maybe that's a, an overly simplistic way to look at the world. So, I'm, in, in this, this book is a little meta. I'm kind of making fun of the tropes, but also sort of using the tropes. So, I've got, you know, I've got a dark lord, and I've got a, and I've got a good wizard, but they're not exactly the cliches that we're used to. it's fact, the big bad guy is our hero, and all the ogres and giants and dragons, the fierce beasts we're taught to fear, are actually kind of like the big nice guys, you know. Um, so it's, it's about, you know, it's sort of embracing all these tropes and then maybe turning them on their head, which believe it or not, is something some reviewers don't even get. I've had a review say, well, it's just a bunch of cliches. And I was like, you know, actually it isn't, it's poking fun at cliches. Um, so, so that, that's really what I'm trying to do with this. Um, and I think, I think kids get it. They get that you're kind of making fun of all this stuff and having fun with it, you know, lovingly. Cause I love fantasy.
2: How did you get it? How did it occur to you to take uh, cliches and and turn them upside down? Yeah, yeah, you know, I
3: again, I'm somebody who loves fantasy. I'm immersed in this stuff, and I'm I'm kind of always looking for stuff that maybe I haven't read about as much. It's not as common, you know. These guys, these ideas are used over and over and over. Um, and so I kind of thought, you know, I started settling on this this kind of Dark Lord is hero thing. It's like, oh, you know, I haven't read that book. That's a book I might want to read. Um, you know, the, the villains, you know, they're, they're interesting, and maybe they don't make them interesting enough at books. Now, I, I, I actually was doing a school tour for the first book, and I was talking about how original I thought my idea was. And then a kid said to me, he's like, well, it's just Star Wars. He was like, you know, the son of the Dark Lord, Luke is Darth Vader's son. And I said, you're right. It's not an original idea at all. So there, I love children. They uh, (laughs) they cut they
2: cut Um, right through it, don't they?
3: They cut right through it. They're like,
2: yeah, it's original, but no, it's not at all either.
3: And I think you know that's good. It is Star Wars. So my book is also just Star Wars in a sense.
2: But you know what's interesting about that, and and I certainly meant absolutely no offense when I compared the map at the front of the book to uh, the map at the front of the Zeus books. Um, It's not unusual. Especially in fantasy books, to have maps because very often yes. you're inventing your own world, and it's nice to have yeah. points of of reference.
3: It is, yeah. You know, there was a there was a quote where, when a lot of people talk about Lord of the Rings, they said, you know, that one of the characters is the world, and that you know, with other books, you put the main character on the wall. And, people were fans of the Lord of the Rings used to put the map on the wall because they were in love with this world and how detailed it was. And I think people who like fantasy really like world building. They like taking time to develop a world. And and one of the kind of outward manifestations of all that world building is the map. It's the thing where we record all the places we've invented and keep track of them. And, yeah, definitely, as you said um, – you kind of need a map to access them. Because we all know the geography of our world. We can say Pittsburgh's here and Paris is there. But, you know, when you do that in a fantasy world, people just... Yeah, where's the the land of
2: elves?
3: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So it ends up being a little bit silly. But, you know, maybe the map makes it more concrete, sort of brings it to life for people. It definitely does for me. I love when I see the map, I always sort of dive into it, you know. I like to peer down into these little worlds from above.
2: When you do that, Mike, when you create your own world, how much freedom does that give you and how much responsibility is there for creating the rules that run that world?
3: You know, I think ultimately whatever you do has to be in service of the story and in service of the plot and the characters and the direction they're heading in, you know, and I, I think that there could be a temptation to be self-indulgent to spend too much time on world building and to, you know, throw down a page of exposition meaning where you just simply explain. And so I, I think there's probably traps involved in world building where it can definitely bog down a story and get in the way. Um, so whatever I do has to be, you know, I have a character, and he's in a situation that he's trying to work through and solve. And so the world needs to grow out of that. It needs to be part of that situation. And uh, if it isn't, it's just getting in the way of a good story, you know. And I think there's, there's a temptation there to indulge too much. So I'm, I'm mindful of that. You know, story comes first and the world is plastic. We can bend and mold it like clay uh, in a fantasy world to service that story. Um, it's a- you know, this, these are fun books. These are humor. So it has to serve that
2: that's that's interesting mike because i ask a lot of writers you know Hmm. which comes first the story or the characters um you know do you come up with a story and then cast characters in it with Hmm. people that these things would Hmm. likely happen to or do you come up with characters and figure out what kind of mischief they would get into
3: yeah i mean a little bit of both for me it's there's like a feedback cycle there you know it's the you start with a character and a situation, and then it, it sort of snowballs. You sort of, you, you know, the situation grows. You find characters that, you know, fit that situation, that work in that world, in a world that fits that world. It seems that, you know, I, I tend to start with like a sentence almost. Like, you know, literally this, the genesis of this book is probably Son of the Dark Lord. And then you ask yourself, well, what is he doing? Well, his dad was killed. So, okay, he's following in his dad's footsteps. How does he follow in his dad's footsteps? What are... What are the obstacles in his path? How ultimately can he do that? So, okay, we have an initial scene where he is trying to get on the brute list, where he's trying to prove himself. He fails. So it starts out with a failure. Okay, now I need to try even harder to follow in my dad's footsteps. How can I do that? So I sort of start with one, literally, my books are always a sentence and then a paragraph, and then they sort of snowball out of that initial idea.
2: Do you outline or do you tend to binge write?
3: Yeah, you know, I do outline extensively. I'm I'm trained as an architect, so I kind of have this organizational background. I like organization, um, so I like to outline extensively and to work out ideas and characters in the world. I'll even do chapter outlines. But, you know, that being said, I I think that when we actually come to the act of writing, it's important to have very few restrictions. So I will have a structure, and then I will improvise in that structure when I write. Um, I'm Actually, I used to be a jazz guitarist. Um, especially in college. And, you know, jazz guitarists will learn s- songs from a fake book, which is, you know, sort of jazz classics. They have a certain melody, a certain set of chords, and they will improvise over those.
2: They have one, kind of one time. It it, it, it's, it's just a, a page with one time through everything. It's got a verse and a chorus, mm-hmm. and, and you can, yep. you know, just go from there. hmm. Exactly. So I, I like to organize, I like to prepare, and then
3: I like to improvise, because you have to surprise yourself, too, if you want to make something interesting.
2: When you're when you're doing that, when you're improvising a story, um, does it often feel like the characters are telling you what happens next?
3: Yeah, I don't know about that. That's an I have heard that, in fact, in, an, in another interview I was doing earlier in the day, I had a, I had a an interviewer who was an author suggests that to me, and I've often heard that said. So I, I feel like some authors must go through that process. I, I feel like I don't. I feel like for me, it's a, it's a, it's a. There's a narrative there, and I, and I'm when, when I'm writing, I have a certain narrator's voice in mind, and that's to me, that feels like that's what the driver of the story is. I have a, the you know, narratorial voice is, and it has a certain perspective. It's a certain person who's kind of telling you this story, and so. That that's what drives it for me, and maybe maybe that's what people mean by character. But uh, but I, I have a narrator in mind, and, and they they have a certain sensibility. And this one, it's it's a lot of humor, it's a lot of fun fantasy jokes for kids, um, and so I try to stay true to that voice.
2: You know, it's interesting. You've used the word narrator several times, mm-hmm. and yeah. and I think that's interesting because a lot of times when I talk to writers, especially. Um, mm. writers that deal in in fantasy worlds, hmm. it's much more visual.
3: Interesting. You know, this, this book may be unique in that sense because it's uh, Confessions of a Dork Lord are confessions. They are journal entries, and it's a diary format. So it's uh, similar to, say, something like Diary of a Wimpy Kid, where somebody is writing down their their experiences. So there's a really strong sense of his voice in this book um and so yeah it, it's a lot like when i write for adults in my adult fantasy series they are much more visual and descriptive and some of the descriptions are what one might say is slightly more long-winded because that's epic fantasy we love that we love that long world building but for kids you know you gotta be a little bit more on your toes it, it, it's the it, the books are quicker faster you can't linger too long and and we're also in a, in a very different voice, so yeah. So maybe it is maybe I, I use that term a lot because I'm I'm in this sort of diary journal world um, where you definitely get the feeling that there is one guy writing this down for you to read.
2: No, it's just it's just interesting because I've talked to so many writers who will say mm. you know when they're putting a scene together, they're they're mm. literally visualizing it, and and here oh, you're sure. talking about as you're going through this process you're hearing a narrator's voice and i just i find oh, that sure. I, I, I find that really cool and probably something special about the experience of writing this book i think so
3: given the journal format you're really you're hearing and i love that it's called confessions because you're you're really hearing the confessions of this little you know guy, this dork lord, the son of the dark lord, and you're hearing like his, you know, young tortured existence trying to follow in his dad's footsteps, and so it, you know, it makes it, journals are a little bit more intimate, right, and when, and when we read them, we're kind of peeking into someone else's journal and hearing, you know, reading their thoughts, um, so I think that's the appeal of this type of book.
2: And and the book is a series, Confessions of a Dork Lord, or part of a series, this is book two, Grave Danger Mike, book two of how many?
3: Good question. Um, I'd like to, I think three would be a great number for this series. I have a third book called Giant Trouble. A lot of wordplay, obviously, in this series um, Plan. So I I think three would would, uh, be a nice number to wrap this series up, though I think I certainly could do more if that. If there's an opportunity for that, um, you know, it's a fun world to be in. So I, I, you know, as long as I have an opportunity to revisit it, I will.
2: You know, a lot of writers are, are always very anxious and, and think about all the time the possibility of having their stories told on the big or small screen. Um, is, is that something that you'd be interested in? And would you see Confessions as live action or animated?
3: Sure. Um, if I had to envision it, I think it would definitely be an animated series. I think it, would, you know, highlight fa- like fantasy. That's animated. Fantasy isn't by nature real, and so maybe the animated, you know, media is, is more true to fantasy. So I, I could really, I really love those old Lord of the Rings ones that were hand drawn. The Rankin Bass, I think, produced those. They were amazing. So I, I'd love to see it as computer animation um i think it would make a fantastic you know animated film i don't need to see it as one because i love books and i write books because i love books and there's so many authors out there today who just want to see their stuff on netflix because they love watching netflix 24 hours a day and I'm, i'm not one of those people like i like books i read books i don't watch streaming you know apps all day long so i love books and i if it's only a book to me that's the best form it could ever be in i love books and i don't see TV as being better or more interesting. I, I like it, and, I, you know, I'd be happy to have a show because it would sell more books, and that's the thing I love, you know. So um, it, it would certainly, you know, the, just the way the illustrator comes to it and reimagines your book, and that's surprising and fun. You know, if somebody were to do a nice TV series out of it, I think that would be a, a joy, too, to see – what wonderful worlds they could make out of my book. Um, You know, we we all have experiences watching Hollywood adaptations of favorite books that get it completely wrong. So there's also the opportunity to make something that I don't like. So I'm fine either way,
2: you know. Well, you said that um, there's a a third book in the series already in the works uh, with the title uh, Giant Trouble. And uh, you'd like to, you possibly like to see it stop at, at uh, a trilogy, at three books in the series. Um, can I infer from that, Mike, that you maybe have another project in mind beyond the confessions? Oh, good question. Yeah, yeah, that was that was
3: a keen observation. Um, I do. So I, you know, I also, as I mentioned, I write for adults too, and so I, I've been working on another book for adults um, actually sci-fi, but I haven't sold it yet. Um, sort of in the early stages. And, um, I have, a, sort of, I'm um, something that I'm actually selling right now for, for, uh, the middle grade audience, uh, n- another fantasy series. It's actually, uh, kind of based loosely on Alice in Wonderland and I'm super, um, I'm super excited for that. Mm-hmm. So I have sort of, as I finish this out, I have a couple things in the works and I'm not yeah, so I'll, I'll see. I'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I'm always. I'm a person with a lot of ideas and a lot of enthusiasm for writing. So I'm always uh, putting the uh, fingers to the keyboard and coming up with stuff.
2: I, you know, I just, I, 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 just got a little bit of a chill when you started talking about mm. Alice in Wonderland, because yeah. I started imagining you turning that tale upside down. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and, and what some of the fun things might be, and I, and I yeah, hope when yeah. you do, that you'll come back and we can talk about it some more, Mike. It's been Bye. a real pleasure and an honor talking with you.
3: Well, I've had a great time. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Um, Mike, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website you'd like to share?
3: Yeah, there's a couple ways to find me. You can Google Michael Johnston author and That's actually the name of my website, and you'll find me. Um, I'm also, social media is a great way to just see what I'm doing and what's coming out. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at mjohnstonauthor, one word, M-J-O-H-N-S-T-O-N, and then the word author. So it should be pretty easy to find me on either on social media and on uh, the web. And I recently joined TikTok, which is a terrible thing to do, but I've done it
5: anyway.
2: (laughs) Well, maybe you'll turn that upside down. That'd be fun. Yeah,
3: yeah. Mike, thank yeah. you
2: so much, and keep up the good work. Wonderful. Thank and tell you so Melissa much. I said hello. I will, definitely. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was uh, Mike Johnston. He is the uh, author of a uh, a series... Um, called Confessions of a Dork Lord. Book two is Grave Danger. And um, and he says uh, book three is uh, coming down the pike. He's married to children's book author Melissa De La Cruz, who has been on the show a couple of times. Anyway, um, that wraps it up. We're going to take a short break. And then we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner program. To right hey, stay inside. With me. You might
5: just say the lie or two or three or four or maybe bye, bye.
4: This is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now,
1: the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone.
4: This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease.
3: I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. It's a- visit with Michelle's mom the hugger and see her on her birthday. You
2: know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium.
5: We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage.
2: In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated.
3: I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to
5: get vaccinated
3: when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part.
5: This is our shot. Now
2: it's up to you.
8: (laughs) Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again.
6: So soon Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Programme.
1: Hey, Edgar, uh, what about that golf tournament that you and W.C. Fields were supposed to play off yesterday? Who won? Well, we we didn't get very far, Bill. You didn't, Ed? What was the matter? Well, I should have known better than to let Charlie caddy for us, of course. (laughs) Well, Edgar, do you mean there was trouble? Well, I'll I'll tell you what happened, Bill. See, Charlie and I got out there first. it It was a beautiful morning. It was a great day. And a perfect day for golf, I see. And, uh... You know, it's it's awful cold out here this time of day. Yeah. You know, I just bet you anything, Mr. Fields doesn't even show up at this time. Oh, well, now he promised he would be here at six thirty. Huh? Yes, he did. Me, my phone. This sucker for singing after that little Jane Powell, <laughs> wouldn't he, My voice isn't anything like hers is uh, it? Oh. No, yes, no, it is, no. Double you see You're a walking ad for Black Coffee, Bill, are we? Uh, hello, Mr. Fields, hello. Oh, uh, hello, my little chum. I was thinking of you only yesterday. No, you were? Yes, I was cleaning out the woodshed at the time. Yeah. Why did me view? Yes. Yeah. Mr. Fields, is that your nose or a new kind of flame flower? Very funny, Charles. Very funny. What's this kid doing around here anyway, Edgar? Well, I'm going to be your caddy, Mister Fields, and I'm going to keep score too. Uh-oh. <laughs> Pax, uh oh. Mrs. Banks. Well, uh, would you rather I kept score, Bill? Well, to be perfectly frank with you, Edgar, I never trusted either one of you. <laughs> What do you mean by that crack? I want you to know that Bergen is just an honest man as you are. You crook, you. That tips off the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> You'd better come out of the sun, Charles, before you get unglued. Yeah. Here. Do you mind if I stand in the shade of your nose? <laughs> Let's not start that now, fellas, please. Now. I'm sure that Charlie will be very fair as a scorekeeper for... Uh, tell me, Charles, if I take three drives and three putts, what's my score? Well, that's three and three. That's uh, uh, four, Mr. Fields. Uh, oh, very good. <laughs> very good, Charles. How do you arrive at four? Well, I'll tell you. You see, when you were putting, the quarter fell out of your pocket, you see. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, isn't this a lovely day, Bill? Lovely. You know the air is so intoxicating. Intoxicating. Yeah. It is, eh? Stand back and let me take a deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to be quiet, Charlie. Mr. Fields is going to tee off. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, quiet, please. I shall out take my usual stance. Oh, I wouldn't do that. The ground's a little wet. Oh, no. Quiet, you Hermite's flophouse. <laughs> Uh, Charlie, I want you to keep quiet up there. He's getting ready to drive. Oh, yes, yes, I'm sorry. Now, if you don't mind a suggestion, Bill, if you're not holding your club right, uh, bend your elbow a little more. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Telling Fields how to bend his elbow. Huh? <laughs> That's like carrying Coles to Newcastle. <laughs> Charles, my little pal? Oh, yes, Mr. Fields? Do you know the meaning of rigor mortars?
5: <laughs> no,
1: sir. Well, you will in a minute. Oh. Now, let's try and avoid that sort of a thing. And, Charlie, I want you to stop it. Yes, yes. You see, you have Mr. Fields all unstrung. Oh, yeah. Somebody get me a set of there uh, with an olive in it. <laughs> me, gentlemen. Uh, could I play through? Well, we'd rather you didn't, you see. We're getting along in a minute now. Uh, oh, well, I'm sorry. Of course, there's no harm in asking. <laughs> oh. I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Bill, head we better get on with the game now. Of course, Edgar, I have a tag. Did I ever tell you of the time I was caddy master at the Bunk for Heiden country club? No, Bunk for Heiden. I didn't know he could sit here. Oh, shit. That uh, was a tough one to say, No. <laughs> it was the top Mount Jungfrau in Switzerland. All right, Bill. Now, there are people waiting to play, too. Oh, I have a lot. I have a lot of time left. Uh, Edgar, I hit a ball nine and three-quarter miles. <laughs> Rolled in an open manhole in front of swoven swob and I don't believe I've ever heard of the place. I don't know where it is. Ah, uh, it's been a stone throw from uh, Wolfinger Jay Uncoupler's place. Uh, yes. uh, well, I don't know where that is either. I don't know about that. Oh, uh, you don't get around much, do you? <laughs> I say, old chaps, would you mind awfully? Yes, we would. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Caddy, what's the score? How do I stand? I often wonder. I often There is no score, Bill. We haven't started playing yet. Oh, so sure we haven't, no. Caddy. Uh, you'd better give me my ball out of uh, my golf bag. Yes. Is it, is it, uh, is it in this compartment, sir? Uh, no, that's where I keep my eye. Oh, you know, this is the first golf bag I ever saw with a faucet on it. Huh? What's in there? Oh, little snake bite remedy. Oh. Excuse me, gentlemen, but I'm the president of the Greens Committee. Well, I'll take spinach. (laughs) Well, just what do you want? Well, I'm afraid you're being a little too turf on the top. I mean too rough on the top. Uh, I don't know what I mean. What's the matter with that guy? Has he got PTs? Yeah. You see, before you gentlemen, the shattered wreck of a man. An <laughs> unhappy creature who has ceased to know the joys of human existence. Ah, uh, teetotaler, eh? <laughs> Sir, I have no sympathy for a man who is intoxicated all the time. No. Oh. Yeah. No, you don't, eh? No, no sympathy. You have no sympathy for him. Well, a man who's intoxicated all the time. What do you think? (laughs) Just doesn't need any sympathy. I don't think. No, no. It was my line. I forgot it. That was a good one too. Yeah, yeah. You don't know how I enjoy taking you, do I? All the rest of the day now. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, would you hey. like to hear my story, gentlemen? Oh, oh is are going see. to continue this thing. What are you sad about, you? What are you sad about? Well, sir, I'll tell you. Six months ago, my wife left me and went back to her mother. Well, that's too bad. But why are you still crying? Well, tomorrow she's coming back oh. and bringing her mother with her. Oh. Get on with the game, Bill. What do you I say? Chaps, please could I play through. Say, what are you in such a rush about? Well, I really should get home. Why? Well, you see, my house is on fire. Oh. Oh, right. there's nothing now nicer than coming home to a warm house. <laughs> Where was I? Well, you were teeing off. Oh, yes, Yes. Yeah. Now off. this time keep your eye on the ball. See if you can get your eye to detour around your nose. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Tell me, Charles, is it true that when you slide down a banister, the banister gets more splitters than you do? <laughs> <laughs> Why, you bugle-beak, you... <laughs> Why don't you fill your nose with helium and rent it out for a barrage balloon or... <laughs> Listen, you animated hitching post, or I'll sick a beaver on you. You'll do no such thing, Bill. You'll not harm a hair on this boy's head. That's not the end I'm going to work on. <laughs>
4: Any gas don't
5: mind my down down And